thought-provoking stories, and insights from around the globe by your favorite athletes. This is the Athlete's Obsession, brought to you by Obsesh. Welcome to another edition of the Athlete's Obsession podcast, brought to you by Obsesh. As usual, I'm your host, Dalton Allison, and this week I am joined by Helen Williams, basketball coach first, and now career and professional coach. Helen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Dalton. Thank you so much for joining me today. And Helen, I know we have a lot of your story to get into. So I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone right off the bat at the start of the podcast, and that is, what is your obsession? And this could be coaching or non-coaching related. Wow, that's a great question. I only get one? You can have as many as... Okay, all right. Uh, So I would say my first one would be um, holistic self-care. I'm very much into taking care of myself mentally, physically, and spiritually so that I can be of greater service to other people. And the second obsession would actually be coaching, which I've done for a long time, first with student-athletes and now with coaches. That's awesome. And uh, something that I think is really interesting is that I feel like that holistic self-care and coaching can really tie in well together. Um, and I'm sure when you explain some of your coaching strategy, you'll get into that. But I guess I'll ask, how did you get into holistic self-care and how did that become an obsession of yours? Because it's something that is out there, but I feel like not enough people are interested in. Yeah, I just, um, I, I realized through some trial and error, but I just, there was a phrase that uh, my mom used to use all the time, and I'm sure people have heard it, and I I have a chapter in my book, Coach Like a Mother, is if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And and really, it just means that if you are not taking care of yourself, you know, holistically in the three areas that I mentioned, mentally, spiritually, and physically, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be present and to be able to serve, you know, the people that you work with, in in this case, in my case, coaches and and earlier, you know, athletes to to be fully present and to to benefit them. So it's um, something that I've, you know, tried to practice for a very long time and has helped, especially in coaching, there, there are so many stresses involved that you don't have control over. So you try to uh, you know, make sure and, and take care of your own stuff as much as possible to relieve the stress you do have control over. Well, I think that is a, a great way to to segue into more of your story. Um, so I guess I'll first ask you, when was it that you first learned or became aware of the game of basketball? Well, I, I grew up with brothers, and so I did whatever they did. So it was, you know, come home from school uh, back in the day, do your homework, change to your play clothes and go outside. And, you know, we just played whatever. And so I played all sports, but basketball just seemed to be something that I gravitated toward. And I can't really explain why I fell in love with it. I just thought it was cool and it was fun. And um, I was pretty decent at it. And so I stuck with it. Did you have a, a coach or a mentor at a young age that really guided you or impacted your game? Probably in my middle school coach 
you know, it, it was what I tell coaches all the time. It, 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 it's, it's not like one thing that stuck out, but it was my experience with her where she just was very supportive, very encouraging and, you know, patient and helped me just, I was a really good athlete, but didn't necessarily know the game per se. And just my interaction with her really stuck with me. And, and I always tell coaches to, to understand how important your impact is on a kid. It doesn't matter uh, what sport it is. There's always one coach that everyone who has ever played sports will remember for the rest of their life. And, and so you want that to be a good reason <laughs> that they remember you. We don't have to get the coaching perfect, but we do have to get it right in that respect. Did this coach ever give you a piece of advice that has stuck with you through your coaching days since she was that one coach that impacted you forever? Just to keep trying. And I carry that throughout my life in everything that I do. If there's something that I would want to accomplish and something that I need, I just keep asking until somebody tells me yes. So that stick to itiveness, I think, is something that I, I really learned from her and um, just something that I carry throughout everything that I do. And persistence is definitely a key to being successful um, in really any pursuit. So I think that's a, a great sports lesson. For so sure. after your middle school and high school days, you ended up playing college basketball at Wake Forest. What was the college basketball experience like for you? Well, for me, it was great. And, and, and to this day, I, I love my alma mater. Um, I will put them in the final four every year, regardless of how good we are um, in women's basketball. But um, it was a great opportunity for me to learn a lot of life lessons. I really didn't play that much. I was a walk-on, but the things that I learned and the relationships that I developed really just carry me through life. Um, I, in fact, I have a Wake Forest uh, shirt on today. I, I wear my gear often, um, but it was just a great place to grow up. Um, I actually lost my parents very young. And so having relationships with my coaches and professors who were all, you know, very supportive and people that I could talk to and go to, uh, including my teammates when I needed it. It was just a family for me and it was just a phenomenal experience. Do you have a favorite moment that you could think of off the cuff from your time as a Wake Forest basketball player? In the ACC tournament years ago, it was the first time we ever beat Duke. Um, we had struggled, obviously, in, in the tournament, and it was, I think, the first time that we'd actually gotten past the first round, and um, I didn't play one minute, but the whole experience was just phenomenal in terms of, you know, as a team, achieving something that you had not achieved before, and I don't even remember how we did the rest of the tournament, to be honest with you, but I do remember that, and it's it's really cool to go back and look at the, look at the old clips you know, of the game. And um, so that, that always, uh, that always sticks out with me as far as a, a particular experience. Well, after your career at Wake Forest, you ended up transitioning into coaching. How did that transition happen? Well, I, when I went to college, I said, I never wanted a real job ever. And so, and I often tell young people, there are two things that you get out of college. One is the ability to think critically, and the other is to have choices to do what you want to do. And I've always told my, my players um, when I was coaching that you want to follow your bliss and find a way to get paid for it. And so I was still obsessed with basketball, 
and just could not imagine my life without basketball, without athletics. And, and to this day, everything that I do, I craft it around athletics and basketball and, and, and you know, and coaching. And um, just got the opportunity to be a graduate assistant. My former teammate was a head coach at a school nearby. Um, it was Lenore Ryan College at the time. It's Lenore Ryan University now. And uh, did my graduate work there and just, again, just fell in love with it. It was, to me, then and now, just didn't feel like a job. I, I just never felt like I was the type of person that could go to a nine to five and and be fulfilled and so that's how I ended up uh coaching and I also wanted to pay it forward the game had done so much for me in terms of my life that I felt like it was incumbent upon me to pass some of the things on that I learned and, and help other other people now you made a, a couple of different stops as a, a college basketball coach do you have a highlight from any of those stops or during your time of coaching college basketball? Well, if I gave you one particular school, that would slight the other ones. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I can't really say. I, I just, every stop I enjoyed uh, for a variety of reasons, whether it was, now I obviously started off at, at graduate school, but then I went back to my alma mater and coached at Wake Forest for a couple of years. Really enjoyed that. Uh, moved on to South Florida. It was a great experience with the Western Michigan tremendous experience. Um, really loved working at the Naval Academy. That was different and awesome and, you know, spent some time at Princeton. So I've, I've been at some really uh, phenomenal institutions and there are great experiences at, at all of them. That's awesome. And uh, I think a, a common theme at some of those schools between Naval Academy, Princeton, those are some really high academic institutions too. So those are institutions that pride themselves in competitive athletics and also in competitive academics. So I, I mean, what was that work? What was the experience working like with athletes who are not only athletically driven, but academically driven too? Because I've always found the whole concept of Ivy League sports and then also some of the academy sports really interesting. Yeah, well, you know, having gone to Wake Forest, I never thought that being successful in athletics and, you know, academics were mutually exclusive. Like, I've always believed that you could you could do both and, and do both and pursue excellence in both. And so that was always very important to me, the academic piece in terms of how I was raised and, you know, my philosophy. And so that was always something that I looked at in terms of aligning with my philosophy whenever I looked at institutions, whether it was as a coach, whether it was, you know, I spent some time at Harvard and MIT and administration. It's always been very important to me. And I, I never understood why people just assume if you were smart that you couldn't be a great athlete. Um, so that was always a part of, for me, fit when I was looking at different institutions to work. You ended up writing a book titled Coach Like a Mother. A guide for the 21st century sports coach. What was the experience like writing a book, planning the book, and then publishing it? Well, it was full disclosure, something that I did after I got fired from being a head coach. And it was essentially a very long essay to myself about things that I might have, I, that I could have done better. I've always been of the mind when, you know, you know, something happens like that, you get let go, that you have to examine your part in that process. And so I thought about the things that I could have done better, but I also 
thought about the things that I did well, and I thought this would be a great book to write so that coaches who are getting into the profession sort of understand what that really means. Because even today, you know, you get into coaching and you're not really privy to all that goes along with everything else besides the X's and O's. The, the subject matter expertise is sort of a given now. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why I work with coaches a lot, because they tend to just automatically want to go to clinics and get better at the X's and O's. But the environment for athletics now, especially collegiate athletics, is there are so many other ancillary duties that you are charged with that if you're not ever curious and ever evolving as a coach, you're not going to be successful. Now we're in the age of the NIL and all kinds of things. And, and these are new things that coaches have to navigate, but it's always been something that you have to navigate in terms of leadership, management, communications, and coaching that you need to just get better at, um, acquire skills or enhance skills all the time if you want to be successful, because you're essentially, when you're a head coach, you're running an organization. You've ended up building your own coaching business. What has that process from being a coach, being a former athlete, turning that experience into coaching coaches, being the coach for the coaches, what has that been like for you? And what is your approach that you take when you're working with a client? Well, first of all, it would have been nice to have me when I was coaching. <laughs> I, I might still be actually coaching on the floor. But it was, I've always been the type that if, you know, something happened to me that wasn't necessarily great, if I can learn from it and pass that information on um, to other people, that then I will do that. And And the other piece of that is, even though I don't directly coach uh, student athletes anymore on the court, I still want to impact them in a positive manner. So if I can get their coaches to, um, you know, learn and grow in those areas that organizational areas, leadership, management, communication, then I think that I'm still impacting them in a positive manner. One of the things that I want to make sure that coaches do is, again, take care of yourself holistically. It's sort of like Marshawn Lynch said, take care of your mentals. I just think if you don't take care of yourself, then then you're not a good, you're not able to be of service appropriately to others. And when I work with coaches, a lot of times coaches take jobs just for for bad reasons, right? Now I took jobs because they were they paid more and they were higher level. Now I ended up working at some of the best institutions literally in the world. Um, but just imagine had I been more mindful, more planful, and more importantly, more strategic about the jobs that I took, how much more fulfilling my career would have been if I had made sure that I had looked at certain things, leadership structure, obviously the academic piece was important to me, but um, thought really thought about, aside from the academic piece, what is the right fit for me so that I could be successful? What level? Division one, two, three, JUCO, high school? You know, NAIA, um, do I want to live in this part of the country? Do I want to live in that part of the country? What is my, you know, what is my philosophy? I, I think I did it right in terms of working for different coaches so that I could take different pieces of their philosophy to build my own. But coaches really don't really sit down and think of why am I here? Why am I coaching? And how do I want to do this? How do I want to make this career mine so that I'm, you know, fulfilled and happy and um, making sure that I want to go to work every day. I want to go to the office every day, and it's not like working there. So we we put together a strategic plan. A lot of coaches don't understand that 
in my career, there have been several things that have been created just for me that haven't existed since then. And, and a lot of coaches don't understand. You can engineer your opportunities once you figure out what you want to do. There's a way to engineer to get where you want to be. But it takes, you know, strategy and consistency and, and, and being genuine and being intentional about the things that you do. So I work with them on those types of things. And then when you're delivering career strategies to, to coaches, whether in a transitional period or they're just really looking for guidance, what do you do that separates yourself from other people who may be giving them guidance? And, and where do you really put your, your experience into the, the fold? Well, the benefit of my experience is that I've been on every level, Division One, Two, or Three, and I've worked at every type of school. So I understand the nuances of the different philosophies and, you know, uh, cultures of those different institutions. And so I really look at the coaching career holistically in terms of the growth of the person. And when you tackle that, the other stuff is easy, right? The X's and O's, that's that's going to be something that you're naturally, you know, going to get better at. But but to really take a look and be self-reflective and self-aware, coaches don't do that enough. And that's why I say they take jobs that maybe aren't the best fit, fit because they haven't taken the time to know who they are as people and who and what's going to make them happy. And I'm all about being happy. I'm all about following your bliss. And, and getting paid for following your bliss, but um, making sure that there's the right opportunities. But you don't know that if you're not mindful, if you're not planful, if you're not strategic, and if you don't take a holistic view of the profession. In addition to the work that you do with athletes and the work that you do with coaches who are in career or any type of transitions, you also serve as a, a broadcaster for ESPN. So what is that like still being able to bring your basketball knowledge to the court, but this time in front of a national audience? Well, as I said before, I cannot imagine my life without basketball. I cannot imagine it without, you know, athletics. And it's a way for me to stay around the game. I can watch, I can approach, I approach my preparation as if I'm the head coach and I'm going to be coaching the game. And it allows me to go to practices and sit there and talk to coaches and, you know, be in the gym and um, still have my game day schedule and, and all of that and still get to enjoy the game and just, you know, talk about what I see. And I think it's really important. And this is the other piece of why I really enjoy and, and feel like the broadcasting for me is important. There are not enough former coaches that are sitting in that seat that do color that have actually had a visceral understanding of what's going on on the floor. If you're a coach, you, you, you see that something's going on and, and you know that a timeout needs to be called or, um, you know, I've been at practice the day before and I've heard the coach tell this kid to do something and she's still not doing it. And I'm over there on the sideline, you know, biting my tongue because I'm, I feel like I'm coaching the game. But um, so it, it's really something that I enjoy, but I also you know, have a goal to get to the point where I can bring other coaches along who are like me who want to stay in the sport, but don't necessarily want to do it, um, you know, uh, on the court in the coaching manner. We, we need more of those people, you know, doing color analysis in, in, in basketball. As someone who broadcasted a bunch of college basketball games during my time at school, play-by-play -play and color commentary, I definitely have a, a certain appreciation for comparing 
broadcasting to getting ready in the preparation of coaching a game because you're building a game plan for that broadcast and you're building your spotting board for that broadcast too. So I, I imagine that must've been a really interesting experience from going from planning to playing in the game to just planning to broadcasting the game. It's, it's a lot of fun for me. Um, I, I really enjoy it. And I, I do think that my philosophy in terms of preparation is that I should give the broadcast that the athletes and the coaches deserve. They are working really hard at their craft. And I think it's incumbent upon me to work really hard, to be prepared. When I talk with coaches, I don't ask them stupid questions. They don't have time for stupid questions. When I ask them something, they know I've done my homework. It's something very specific. And they understand that I've watched film and then I, I, I know their players and I know their team. And, and to me, that's very important, you know, for, for coaches that I talk with to know that, that this person has put in the time because I understand that you put in the time as well. And that's, that's the type of broadcast that you deserve. It's a bit of a different question than you just hit that three-point shot. How do you feel? <laughs> right. And, and that, to be honest with you, gets on my nerves. Like it's, it's, instead of talking about you just hit that three-point shot, well, what actually led up to the fact that you were open for that three-point shot, you know? Um, those are the things you don't want to be too technical, but to, to basketball fans, you, you do want to, it's my job to explain to them how things happen, um, especially if it keeps happening, you know, and so I think it's really important to ask substantive questions, um, again, because you don't want to waste, you don't want to waste people's time. We could do a whole separate podcast uh, <laughs> on basketball broadcast, but I'll keep us reined in here on you and your story. Um, in 30 seconds or less, could you tell me what you love most about coaching? What I love is the positive impact you have on people. Um, through my work with coaches, I have a positive impact on kids. Um, but, but through the work that I've done with kids, the relationship piece is so much fun, especially when you continue that relationship beyond the four years that you're coaching. Um, and then I love helping coaches get opportunities that they want. If they're a high school coach that wants to uh, coach in college, you know, helping them do that. If they're a coach that wants to get to a certain level in college or a coach who wants to transition out of the profession, I just really get a kick out of helping them figure those things out. I'm, I'm really good at that. And I, I really in, enjoy, you know, helping people reach their goals. You're on the Obsessed platform now to bring your coaching for coaches to the table. If someone were to book an experience with you on Obsesh, what would they receive in that coaching experience? Well, the first thing we would do again is, is I'm big on self-reflection and self-awareness. So I need to figure out what it is you want and you have to figure out what it is you want. So you have to help me help you. And I think that's the biggest thing. And, and once we figure that out, I'm able to help you build a roadmap so that you make decisions that fit your big picture. Right. We want to make decisions that fit the big picture. And if you have a roadmap and a strategy, then if you turn left instead of turn right, even though it might be an out of the box opportunity, uh, there's a valid reason why you made that decision. And you're not just making arbitrary decisions again, like I did to take opportunities because they were more money or a higher level. There's some some thought and strategy behind those decisions and um, helping people figure that out is is what I'm best at. Lastly, I'll ask, you have different social media channels and you have different ways to get in contact with you and get your services. 
what are some of your social media channels that people can keep up with your story? Well, my Twitter handle is a coach for the coach and the four is, is a number, a coach for the number four, the coach. Instagram is a coach for the coach. I have the same thing for, um, uh, for Facebook as well. Uh, for the older folks who actually want to send an email, um, they could email me at um, hmwsc at outlook.com or they could just call me at 888-412-1112. So any, any of those ways. Helen, thank you so much for spending some time today on the Athletes Obsession podcast. It was awesome having you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be a part of the Obsession family. 